0: You know, we all work hard to, hard, all of a sudden, I'm, I don't know what that is, hard. That's uh, Bob, Bob uh, uh, what was his name? Bob Ward, that's how he, how he used to say heart. Did he, who knew Bob Ward? Yeah, Bob Ward. Mary, you had to have known Bob Ward, pastored here back uh, before Ron and Vicki. He would say, he, he didn't say heart, he said heart, heart. Anyway, sorry, Bob's creeping back in a little bit. Um, okay, yes, that was a long time ago. Okay, we work hard to be, we, we work hard to make ourselves worthwhile, look valuable. You know what I mean? We manage our press very well. Let me uh, just tell you a funny story. Bren and I will have been married 19 years, um, and she would say, you know, seven of those good, but 19 years um, in this coming July. That wasn't a little funny? I thought that was a little funny. Okay, anyway, 19 years this coming July, and to this day, yeah, can you believe that? 19 years. It'll be 20 next year. How about that? That's incredible. I, yeah, in a couple more years, I'll be married as long as I've been, you know, more longer than I've been alive. That's hard to believe. But anyway. Um, oh, sorry. Yes. Yeah, that's what I meant. Look, like, that was funny and not on purpose. Oh, there we go. I've been working on my presentation a little bit, and and obviously, it's paying off, right? Uh, glad that you guys are engaged and laughing, even though I didn't intend for that. But anyway. We're, we just can't say... Can we make sure that doesn't get on the podcast? Because Brenda can't know I've said this, all right? I, I didn't mean that. I've been married longer than I've been alive. How about that? That's funny. Brenda would say it only seems that way. Okay. Brenda and I will have been married 19 years this July. And to this day, right, to this day, if uh, any time that she looks to... I mean, I stand up straight, right? You know why? Because I don't want my gut to show, right? Nineteen years we've been married. We've known each other for twenty. And I don't want to make sure that you know when she looks at me. I'm you know I, I'm managing my press well. I want to make sure that uh, whenever she looks at me, I'm uh, I'm standing up straight and uh, you know maybe you know puff my chest down a little bit because I want her to know that you know I'm I'm a manly man. Well, me and Jamie really both manly men. But uh, anyway, uh, but we work hard at that. And, and it's not just obviously it's not just me. It's it's all of us. You know you work maybe are you still having I mean, You're right. Okay, okay, I thought maybe you may need to step out for a minute. Um, <laughs> We, uh, we work hard at managing our press. Um, um, we, you know, you work hard at work to make sure everyone, we work hard at work to make sure that everyone knows that we're knowledgeable and wise. We work hard at home. You know, if you get a group of guys together uh, around a po- power tool, you're not going to find a single guy to admit he's never used that one before. You know <laughs> what I'm saying? Uh, and, uh, and, and ladies, of course, you know, how many of you like to uh, parade around with no makeup and in your pajamas at Walmart? I mean, we just, we try to manage how people view us all the time. Um, <laughs> some of you are looking at each other, is there something wrong with that? Sure. What's he saying? I'm not sure. Little pain on the old barn, I'm told, is not a bad thing. Um, but we're always working to manage how people see us and, uh, and, and, and how we talk and how we come across. And, and I, here's what I, wanna, what, I, what I see sometimes is I also see this work its way into the church. We as people are more careful, maybe, about what we say around other believers than we are around other people, right? Maybe you talk in a way at work that you wouldn't talk in the church, right? Um, Maybe we could talk about issues of uh, integrity there and stuff, but that's not the point of my sermon today. I just want to point this out is that this kind of creeps its way into the church sometimes, but where it causes a real problem, and not that those aren't some issues that we all have to work through because. Honestly, uh, the issue there is maybe idolatry and pride that we want other people to see us in a way that we're really not. Uh, but uh, no one did that while they were dating, did they? Right? A guy asks, acts really, really kind and very gentle with a woman while they're dating. And then afterwards, it's, you know, well, you know, oops, sorry. You know, uh, you know uh, Jimmy uh, uh, Evans used to tell a story about, you know, when he and his wife married, he would hold her hand and would pinch her Really hard after they were married. And, and before they were married, he would drive in his car and he'd be real careful to drive around the bumps and the dips and the chuck holes. And then after they were married, you know, he'd take him at, at 60 miles an hour, right? Yeah, but anyway, so we always want to be careful about what people think. The thing is that the problem is is that when it creeps into the church, when it creeps into our thoughts, then it can become something that, that we really don't intend it to, but it's a dangerous thing. And that is this is it somehow thinking that the way we act earns God's favor? Um, I'll just tell you the Bible says that ain't so. The Bible says is that your behavior does not earn or lose God's favor for you, okay? I, I want to make this really clear and really um, just a short breath of prayer here. I, I want to explain to you the beauty of the gospel in this this morning, and God helped me to do it uh, because it really is amazing about what God has done in his gospel. But anyway, if you, would, if you have your Bible open in Luke chapter 2, we're going to re- read about the birth of Jesus and what all happened there with the... Uh, With uh, shepherds and angels, really incredible scene. In in Luke chapter two, we're going to be in verse one. We're going to read through verse fourteen. So if you have your Bibles, Luke two. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to his own town to register. All right, let me pause there for just a moment. Clay sent out a a, a text this this week about uh, reading in Luke chapter 2 and uh, said, How is, you know, Jesus is in Nazareth, and yet he's supposed to come out of Bethlehem in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, right? He's supposed to come out of Bethlehem, the city of David. Well, how's he going to do that? Well, you know, somehow sovereignly, providentially, there's a census to be taken. And, and no doubt, this census is not unlike what our government does in collecting ta- taxes. It is a census and it's a way to collect taxes. So, get this, you know, mark this, this is the sovereignty of God that He even works through government. It, it's, it's hard to believe. I'm glad you're all sitting down. He even is able to work through the bureaucracy of a government in an attempt to raise taxes so that His Son might be born where He was prophesied to be born. How much control did Jesus have over that well, not much. He was in the womb, but uh, he was sovereignly. Um, he was placed in, in in Jerusalem to be born. Uh, pretty amazing. God's sovereignty. Really, truly, there is a God, and uh, He can make all those things work when He can work through a pagan government. Um, in verse five, four, then. So Joseph also went up from the town, to, went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house of the line of David. He went there to register um, with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. We all recognize because we just went through uh, Christmas, you know, that was like a week and a half ago, but we just went through Christmas and we recognize the gift that this is, right? This is a gift of, of God's son born for us. Anyway, pressing on. And verse 8, "...and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were..." What? Terrified. terrified. It happens to people all the time in the Scriptures when there's angelic or, uh, or the Lord appears to them. They are commonly terrified by the sight, pretty amazing. Uh, incredible beings they must be. But the angel said to them, "'Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. Uh, This will be assigned to you. You will find the baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company uh, of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel praising God and saying, "'Glory to God in the highest,' or in excelsis Deo,' And on, on Earth, peace to men on whom His favor rests. All right, we're going to pause there for just a moment. I really, what I want to focus on here, as you guys were reading through that this week, I really wanted to focus on just this very simple phrase, "Peace on earth, peace to men on whom His favor rests." That's an incredibly short statement, and maybe something we pass by it in this whole narrative about Jesus' birth, but here's the deal. The, the Bible has to say over and over again. That God loves people, right? It something says in about John chapter three, maybe verse sixteen. Maybe you've heard it before. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, right? Right. God so loved the world, and here we hear we hear it in, uh, to men on whom His favor rests. And we're getting ready, you know, we're reading through Luke to get ready for um, Easter here together. But um, I I wanted to make sure and point this out for you that Easter really is a celebration of God demonstrating his love for us in the most significant way he did in any other part of history or in any part of the scripture. And really, the greatest demonstration of love the world has ever known. He gave his innocent son to take on the punishment for sins that you and I deserved. And we get his righteous life, and he took our punishment and our sins away. Amen. That is the simplicity of the gospel right there. But it is a beautiful picture about what God has done, and that is and, and Easter really is a celebration of God's love, uh, about his motivation for why Jesus Christ died was out of love for his people, out of his love for people and his favor toward people. Um, anyway, reading this, I, I was reminded of a couple of passages in, in Exodus, some really fascinating stuff. In Exodus chapter 33, you don't have to turn there, it'll be on the screen, you can mark it if you want or turn there, it will be in chapter 33 and 34. But anyway, uh, there's this whole interchange going on between God and Moses, and, and uh, Moses says to God, "'Now show me your glory,' and the Lord said, "'I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence.'" I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, but you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. And you get this beautiful little narrative about God and Moses talking. I don't know. I just can't even imagine how magnificent that must have been. But anyway, and this beautiful story about God saying, you know what? I'm going to put you up in the cleft of this rock, and I'm going to cover you with my hand until I've passed by, and you can see my back, but if you see my face, you will die right? Um, pretty magnificent God we serve. Amen. You cannot look up on him and live in this flesh. Uh, but anyway, one day, not in this flesh, but in a glorified flesh, we will see him. He will be like the sun, right? Illuminating our uh, our, our place there, the new the new Jerusalem. That'll be a good day. I'm ready. Okay. Uh, you cannot see my face for no one will live. And so he puts him in the cleft of a rock and he covers him with his hand. And as the Lord passes by, he says, you can see my back. And, and, and there he says, I will proclaim." my name, the Lord, in your presence, right? Okay, so here it goes. And it all goes down in chapter 34. It doesn't say much, but I wonder what Moses was thinking, you know, really, boy, I hope, you know, I don't open my eyes at the wrong time. hope he didn't take his hand a little too early because then I'll be struck dead. This will all be over. It might be really something really great or I might just die today. But anyway, it doesn't really talk about that. Exodus chapter 34. Then the Lord came down in a cloud, verse five, and in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. Now listen. Moses said what? Show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will tell you, I will proclaim my name to you. And look to see, listen what the Lord says. Now, of all the things that God had said about himself, I mean, where do you stop? He could have said, I'm the God of heaven. I'm the creator of all the earth. I'm the ruler. I'm the king. I'm the sovereign one. I'm the mighty one of Israel. I'm, I'm the holy one. I'm the righteous one. I'm the, I'm the God of Jacob. I'm the God of Israel. I'm all of these things. But listen what he says about what his glory is and what his name is. The Lord, the Lord, that's Jehovah, Jehovah, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation. And so what does God proclaim his glory is? My love and compassion and mercy that I have for mankind is the glory of the Lord. He says, you want to know my name? I am, I am patient and compassionate and loving toward people. I am, I am gracious towards them. And then he ends it with saying, and I am just too because I punish sin. And even in the punishment of sin, what do we find today on this side of the cross? Mercy and grace because he did punish sin and he took it all upon that one single generation in the, in, in over Jesus Christ who paid the punishment for sin. So even in his justice and even in his punishment, we find grace and mercy. Amen. You want to know God's glory? It's that he loves you. You want to know what his name is like. He loves you and he cares about you and he's compassionate toward you. You want to know what the glory of God is, is that you rest in his favor if you are a believer today, amen? That is his goodness and his glory. And he could have said it so many other different ways. And we know that that's not the only aspect of his glory. We know there are so many other things about his glory, but when he was asked by Moses, show me your glory, he said, I love my people. Okay. Are you with me? In Luke, he, the, the, the angel said, uh, peace toward men on whom his favor rests. It is one of the characteristics of God is that he loves his people. He loves them so much. It is one of the things that makes him so glorious and so wonderful and so worthy of our praises is his great love and compassion and patience and mercy for us. Okay? Now, the thing that makes it so glorious is that you and I didn't deserve it. If we had deserved it and if we had earned His favor, then it would not be very glorious, right? Right? It's like uh, it, Jesus was teaching, He said, If you love your friends, how are you any different from the pagans? The pagans love their friends, but I tell you, love your enemies. You know why? Because God loved his enemies. You and I, before we came to Jesus Christ, before he had forgiven all of our sins, the Bible's very clear in saying we were the enemies of God and he loved us in that state anyway, knowing full well that he would make sacrifice to bring us from being enemies to bringing, being his sons and his daughters would adopt us of his family. We are not worthy of the love and the favor and the mercy and the grace of God. If we were, it wouldn't be called grace or love or mercy, right? right. So let me, let me see if I can bring this together. Lord, help us here to understand this. <clears throat> when I do something, when I act in a way that's good or righteous, and I hold this up thinking that somehow I have earned God's favor for it, And and, and this happens all the time, even in the church. We were talking about it in Sunday school this morning. Jamie brought it up. But I feel like, right, you feel like if you've been obedient in this area, then God must owe you that much in blessing. That is not biblical whatsoever. There is nothing scriptural about that thought, but it happens in the church, and it even happens in our own minds at times. And we have to be reminded of the goodness of the gospel is that, you know, all of my worth, all of my value is captured in this one thing. It is not my behavior. It's not in my ability to follow God. It's not in my righteous actions. It's not even the things that I follow along as God sanctifies me. My worth and my value before God is based on God and all that He's done. Amen? And when I take what I've done and say, look at all the things I've done, Lord, haven't I earned your favor? Listen to me, that cheapens what he's done for us. It goes and it's like we're saying to God, well, well, you sent your son, Jesus Christ, and he died for all of my sins, but at my favor with you, God, the way that you love me is based on what I've done. No, listen, that's not true. You are marring, you are, you are marking, you are, you are soiling the grace of God when you think that way, and so am I, and we have to get out of that mindset. We have to be cautious about it because, listen, honestly, there are Christian churches who teach it. There are Christian churches who teach that you can earn and gain God's favor if you walk along with him in sanctification, if you do good things, if you, if you watch your mouth at work and you, you love your husband or your wife well and you love your children well, then you can earn God's favor. But the truth is we can never earn his favor. And that's why when the, God, when, the, when the gospel of Luke says, on men on whom his favor rests. And John chapter 3 says, uh, for God so loved the world. And, and Exodus chapter 33 and 34, where God says, you want to know my glory? I love people. That's why those are all so profound, is because we didn't earn any bit of it. Not an ounce, not a cent, not a part of it, not one. It was all because of God's great love and his great favor toward us, that he just decided, I'm going to put my love on these people. Right? Okay. That's the simplicity of the gospel and anything that you and I do out of motivation to think that we're earning God's favor is negating or subtracting from what God has done. Do you hear me? It is dangerous territory to be walking in. It is legalism that Paul rails against in almost every one of his epistles, right? To the Colossians, he says, he, he tells them, you guys have all these rules that you're putting in this place. There was, there was her, heretical teaching going on in Colossae. And he says, you guys have these rules. Do not taste, do not touch, do not eat, do not do all of these things. And he says, these things are worthless. You're trying to manage your own behavior is worthless to God. They're worthless even to your own uh, desire because you can't really control yourself, honestly, right? What is worthwhile, Right is the favor that we've earned through Jesus Christ. We're going to end with talking about repentance here in a little bit. But uh, as we get there, uh, as we get there, uh, yeah, we'll get there. How about that? Luke chapter 18, someone comes to Jesus and says, good teacher, and goes on to ask him a question. And Jesus says in response, why do you call me good? No one is good but God, right? You and I talk about people all the time about being good people, good folks, right? They're good folk, good people, good people. Uh, but Jesus said, There's no one good but God, because all of us, like what paul what uh, Clay was reading this morning. All of us have gone like sheep. Have gone. We've 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 gone lost. We've 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 lost ourselves. We've we've strayed from God. No one's looked for Him. No one is righteous. No, not one. Isaiah chapter 64 says all of us have become like one who is unclean. And basically, the word is is that we've become like lepers. We've become like people who can't join in the ceremony in the worship of God because of our sin. And listen, He goes on to say, we've all become like one who is unclean, and all of our righteous acts are like filthy. Rags. Okay, let me ask you this. If your righteous acts are like filthy rags, how about all the things that you've done that you don't want people to find out about? How about all the things that you would look back on and say, I regret having done that. How do those, you know, shape up? How do, how do those compare to earning God's favor? You can't earn His favor. You can't earn His love. You can't become more righteous or more right or more good Better um, the, the, you you can't do those things and you never could if if you could then the gospel, then the cross was for nothing, right? Anyway, listen how Isaiah sixty four verse six ends. We all shrivel up like a leaf, and like, and like I'm sorry, and like the and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. This sounds an awful lot like what Paul wrote. Uh, the wages of sin are death, right? The wages of sin is death. Um, this is a, here's a really important part. Let me, can I see everybody's faces here for just a moment? Let me, let me steal from Matt Chandler. Matt Chandler likes to say, God is not in love with some future version of you. He he didn't like, it's not like he rolled the dice and said, you know, I'm going to gamble and I'm going to put my, the life of my son out there. And I'm just going to hope one day these people are going to be worth my while. It's not like he took any, any, and he spent his son's life and say, you know, I'm just going to work on these people. Maybe one day they'll be worth my love. He's not waiting for something else. He loved you as you were, lost in sin, separated from him, wandering your own way, rebellious away from God. He loved you then, Amen. He loved you then, and you had done nothing to earn his favor. And the Apostle Paul would write in Romans that while we were stuck in that state, that's when Jesus died for us. He didn't wait to say, you know what? If these people clean up their act a little bit, I, I may do something. I, I may show up. I may, I, may, uh, I may forgive their sin a little bit. I may budge a little bit if, they, if they'll just clean up their act. No. In Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He was not in love with some future version. He was not hoping that, you know, one day you'd be worthwhile. At that time, at that moment that you were lost in sin, completely blinded from the ways of God, he loved you and sent his son to die for you. And he saved you in that lost and hopeless state. And his love for you will never be greater than it was at that time because it was so great that he didn't even withhold his own beloved son From your need of sacrifice and forgiveness of sin, I fell. Pardon. As we approach Easter, this Easter, um, I want you to see, um, you know, there's Easter bunnies and eggs and baskets and those little marshmallow peeps, right? I don't really like those because I played Fuzzy Bunny once, and I'm done with marshmallows. I don't know about you, right? Garrett, you with me? Yes, yes. Yeah, I, I, did, I did Fuzzy Bunny. Now, marshmallows have taken on a whole new taste for me. I, I don't enjoy them anymore. I, I need to find out who talked me into that one time and need to go back and, and uh, write a letter to them about how much I, I just don't appreciate that. But anyway, ruined marshmallows for me. But anyway, um, but as we approach Easter coming here, I want you to remember when you look at the cross of Christ, that is a demonstration of love. Yeah, it, it's, it's horrible. It's horrific. Um, what was what happened to Jesus physically and emotionally and what happened to him in, in the punishment that he took on was brutal and they mutilated his body and he hung there and he died in the most cruel way that people could imagine, right? But when you look at that, I remember how great his love was for me when I was lost in my sin and I brought nothing to him but a train wreck of my life. He Loved me so much that he gave his own life for me. Amen. I want to speak very clearly about God's love and his favor. Uh, And I want you to know that you did nothing and can do nothing to earn it. He loved you. And he will never stop loving you. Or if you're in his son, Jesus Christ, he has already shown his love for you. It can never grow any greater. It is to the greatest extent. When Paul talked about it to the Ephesians, he said, I want you to know, I want you to try to comprehend how how wide and deep and high and long, and I didn't get any of those dimensions right, is the love of God in Christ Jesus. And he actually says, and you're going to need the help of the Holy Spirit to grasp it because you can't get how big God's love is for you. You just can't get it. You can't grasp hold of it all. You're just not going to be able to grasp the depth and the measurements of it all because it is immense, His love for you. Okay, so what do you do with all this? Um, Two things I might suggest. One is, is that when I recognized God's love for me and I recognized there was nothing I could do to earn it, what can you do but rest in His favor? What else can you do? You know, it's like, um, um, it's, it's like if you lived by, this is hard to imagine here in the high plains, but it's like if you lived by a stream, right? You lived by a stream and every day you went and got water and you washed with it and you cooked with it and it kept you alive by, by the water that it brought you and the food that it brought you by way of fish. And, and, and every day you went down and you were completely dependent for your life and your family was completely dependent on the life of this stream to bring life and, and, and nutrition and water into your home, the very best thing that you could do is what? Well, you'd want to go beside it and put a bucket up so that you could catch rainwater. I mean, wouldn't that be just marvelous to drink? No, that's ridiculous. But listen, when you and I depend on our own behavior... It's like catching water in broken cisterns, which Jeremiah says is abhorrent to God. No, what you do is you go to the stream and you jump in with both feet. You, you splash around, you, you haul the kids in, you hold them under water and stuff because it's funny. To, no, not really. But, but you jump in the water, and you enjoy the time together. You enjoy that together, and you just relish the beauty and the majesty and the, all the things that the stream does for you and, and your family and keeping you alive and bringing you nutrition, bringing you water, and it's your lifeblood. It's the thing that keeps you alive, and you just revel in it. Might I suggest to you it's the same way with God's love. It's the same way with His grace. That We just need to spend time reveling in it and reading about it in the Scriptures and remarking, like John did, how great the Father's love for us. How great. How deep and wide and high is God's love for us that we can't even imagine. So I would suggest to you to rest in His favor. The other thing I would suggest is that that should bring an attitude of gratefulness in your heart. All right. If it doesn't, there's something wrong that should bring about an, an, an attitude of gratefulness and thankfulness for you in your relationship with God, just to just to think, just to set, and just to rest in His favor and say, Lord, you've brought your love and your grace and your mercy toward me when I didn't deserve it, and what can I do? I just want to rest in it. I just want to bask in, like basking in this warm sun we've had over the last couple of days. Oh, I just want to bask in that truth. I just want to be thankful. I just want to call you out, God, and I just want to say thank you for loving me when I wasn't worth loving. I, I want to thank you for showing me mercy when I, I was your enemy. I, I just, I just want to help. Would you help me by your Holy Spirit comprehend how great your love is for me? The other thing is this, is that it should also bring us to repentance. Um, I, I'm out of time, but, but I, I want to I try to differentiate, uh, boy, Lord help us, the difference. When I, you and I will go through our lives and we'll be in the scriptures or something will happen that we'll be in conflict with other people, right? Uh, it happens in our families. It happens in churches. It happens at all, all kinds of different places. And we recognize that something's wrong, right? I recognize that I'm angry with someone that I don't need to be angry. I recognize that I'm holding unforgiveness when the Bible says I don't hold unforgiveness, right? And the scriptures press hard on us, right? And the Holy Spirit presses hard on us, bringing conviction to us in those areas. True? Does this happen to you? Yeah, nod your heads. Yes, it has, right? Yeah. Because you're you're a broken people, and I'm a broken person also. Wicked hearts we have, right? That <laughs> sounded kind of like Yoda there. Anyway, um, sorry, um, and and but the gospel, but the Bible and and the Holy Spirit really press on us in those areas. Okay, what do you do then? If you're attempting to modify your behavior, that never worked. It didn't work in the beginning. It's why you need as a savior, right? But instead, if you get down to the heart of the issue, and if you've noticed the way that you've been speaking is angry, or the way that you've been speaking is not honoring God, what you really need to do is get to the heart of the matter and say, Lord, what's wrong? Why am I like this? Why am I holding unforgiveness? Why am I angry with my brother? Why am I speaking the way that I'm speaking? Why am I judgmental? Why am I whatever it is? Why am I prideful? Why am I selfish? It's an issue with your heart. And instead of trying to manage your behavior, here's the way this works. You ready? When we recognize that all that we have in God's favor is from God and not from our own behavior or trying to do righteous things, all right, here's the way this works. Then I go before God. Okay, here's a, this is a mark of Christian maturity, right? Early on as a Christian, you hid from God for a while, right? Because you felt like you needed to go clean yourself up before you went to pray to Him again. True? A mark of Christian maturity is immediately I confess and I repent and say, Lord, my heart is wicked. There is anger in, in my mouth, in my words, and so I recognize there's a problem in my heart. Um, I'm holding unforgiveness against someone. And so I recognize that there's a problem in my heart and I need you, Lord God, to work in me to fix it. And it should bring us to repentance and confession. Let me tell you, the evangelical church for entirely too long taught about confession and repentance happening at the time of conversion. That's not biblical. Confession and repentance is supposed to start at at conversion and continue on the rest of your Christian walk because you will always be a person who is broken by sin. You will always find dark parts of your heart that you didn't even know existed a day or two ago. And what do you do with those? Will you just work hard and pretty yourself up? You know, put a little lipstick on that pig, you'll be fine. No, 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 no. Uh-uh. That is not how that works. What, how that works is, is that you and I go to God and say, I recognize that you love me despite and you knew, you weren't surprised. It's not like God loved us and then he finds out, oh my goodness, this guy's got a problem with lust. I had no idea. I wouldn't have saved him if I'd have known this. Uh, this guy's got a problem with pride? Are you kidding me? After all I've done for him? No, no, no. God knew the depth of our sin, and that's what the cross is all about, right? That's why the cross exists is because he knew the depth of, and the darkness of our hearts and, and that we were lousy sinners and that we needed salvation and we couldn't do it ourselves. And so he sent one who would do it for us and who had the ability to do it on our behalves, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. But repentance works like this. I confess and repent when the Lord brings it up and I don't say, Lord, just help me manage my behavior better. Help me not to talk like that. No, 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 no. Lord, fix what's wrong in my heart. Bring light in dark places in my life. Take anger away from me and unforgiveness and replace it with mercy. And you walk with God over days and months and years, and you'll begin to see that he's changing your character, not because you're managing your behavior or managing your press, but because he's changing your heart and transforming your mind. Amen? Amen. And all that predicates on this whole idea is, I was unworthy of his love, but I rest in it. I revel in it. I I love it. I soak it up. I want to jump in with both feet. I want to jump in until my, you know, my shoulders are underwater. I, I, I want to revel in that grace that he's shown me. And it is his favor that I rest in. Amen. Amen. Let's close in prayer. I've kept you too long. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this time we've had together. And oh, Lord, the, the beauty of your gospel, Lord, that there was nothing we could do to earn your favor. There was nothing that we could do because we were all too far lost. We were all too far gone. We were all unclean. We were our righteousness. Even the good things we did were like filthy rags to you because you are so righteous and we are so broken and dark and uh, in, in sin. But Father, even then, you demonstrated your love for us. You sent your son to die for us while we were in sin. Before we had done a thing to try to earn your favor, he died for us. So, Father, I pray this morning, help us during this time as we're preparing for Easter, I pray for these people, Lord, help us to rest in your favor. Help us just to meditate. Help us just to to enjoy it. Help us just to, uh, to, to proclaim it and to be thankful for it, Lord. And when something happens in our lives, Lord God, help us not to hide from you. When we sin, when we falter, Lord God, help us not to hide from you, but to go to you immediately and say, my heart is dark. My heart is wicked. I'm full of pride or selfishness or lust. And, Lord, here I am again at your feet asking you to make changes in me. Not to just modify my behavior, but you take that wicked part of my heart, Lord, and you begin to exercise it. You begin to, to take it out in me. And, uh, and, and uh, the Lord Jesus will begin his work of sanctifying you as you walk with him. Lord, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. We thank you for your favor that rests on us that we never deserve, but Lord, we just relish in it. We thank you, Lord God, for your goodness toward us. It's in Jesus' great name we pray, amen. Amen, Lord bless you. Love you guys, thanks for being here today.